Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 17th, 2022. It is currently 8.01 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, can you believe that plot twist that happened last night? Can you believe it? Can you believe the plot twist that we all experienced last night? Wait, you missed it? No, I'm not talking about a television show. I'm not talking about a television series. I'm not talking about a podcast series. I'm talking about, well, this podcast. I'm talking about a Bible study exercise. In the middle of our Bible study exercise last night, we had a dramatic plot twist. I was not prepared for it. I did not see it coming, but I've been thinking about it ever since. I was hoping it was going to spark all kinds of emails because it was one of those situations where, whoa, what did, what did we just stumble upon? This is, I wasn't expecting this. Now, if, you, if, you're, if you're brand new, let me tell you what's going on. We're currently, for the Bible Study Exercise podcast series, we're currently working on a seven-week-plus study on the subject of fear. One of the things I gave everyone to do was the thematic method of Bible study, which you were to come up with six questions in regards to fear and then search the Bible to answer your questions. People have been working on those. And I've looked at almost everyone's questions. People have come up with great questions. I can't wait to see what people discover, what they find, what they can't find, what they struggle with. Or if, or in the middle of it, when they're done, they're like, wow, you know what? I, I don't know if I found the answers to these six questions, but I ended up with more questions. It'll just be interesting to see what people come up with. But while everyone is doing that, we have been working each week using the curriculum that's available to everyone for free. All you have to do is email me, newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. Simply say you want access to the curriculum. We send you a link. We get you all set up. It's free for you. We still, we pay for it, but it's free for you. And uh, we are, we are very grateful for those who listen, who have helped support us being able to make that curriculum available to everyone. But don't ever feel like, well, I can't, I can't give or, or I can't, it doesn't matter. We, we want it to be as free for as many people as possible. So they have access to it. Now we don't always follow along right with the curriculum. The curriculum is really there to do two things, to supplement what we're doing, and in many cases, to offer a different perspective than the one I am giving on the podcast, which then gives you the ability to hear different perspectives to help you in the study of God's Word, and we think that that's very beneficial. Now, the curriculum for our study on fear that's about seven weeks started us in Psalm 33, awesome, I won't repeat everything, awesome, awesome chapter, so key to our study. In fact, what it really did in Psalm 33 was give us kind of the, the prerequisites to fear God. If we're going to fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, we, there are some prerequisites. And Psalm 33 gave us the prerequisites. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely awesome. Love that study. Then we move to Romans chapter 8, which was, again, absolutely awesome. Because Romans chapter 8, what it kind of did is said... It basically gave us the reasons for not having the wrong kind of fear, right? Not, not, we don't have to, there's certain things. It gave us reasons not to fear condemnation, judgment. It gave us 
the, the, the reasons not to have the wrong kind of fear. I guess that's the best way to put it. I've changed how I want to relate our study of Romans chapter 8 multiple times. You can come up with your own conclusion. But that was a very interesting and, again, fascinating study. Well, for this week, the, the curriculum gave us 1 John chapter 3, uh, a few verses in 1 John 3, and a few verses in 1 John chapter 4. And what they wanted us to do is say, okay, if we, if we don't have the wrong kind of fear, right? If we're not going to have the wrong kind of fear, that's wonderful. Now, what do we replace it with? Now, you would immediately think, well, if you don't have the wrong kind of fear, you replace it with the right kind of fear. But the curriculum took kind of a, an interesting twist on it. No, no, no. You replace the wrong kind of fear with love. Love in the place of fear, which was kind of an interesting approach, but we did not see it coming. We did not see it coming. As the curriculum moved on, this was not their intention. It was clearly more just my trying to put everything they were saying together in some kind of logical way. Inadvertently, they led us to the big plot twist. And here was the big plot twist. All right. According to the curriculum, they kind of created this kind of idea. This is very important. If we... How can I state this? If we have the right kind of love, if we have the right kind of love, the world is going to hate us. And the world hating us can create fear. But if we have the right kind of love, then we will not fear. So we should love people. That means even loving our enemy. So if we have the right kind of love, this will replace fear, right? And, but the way they, the way they kind of laid it out and it, and it may sound a little confusing, but just follow me. We, we are called to love the right way with a godlike love. We are to love people. We're to love our enemy. We're to love everyone with a godlike love. That's what we're called to do, right? And their argument is if you love that way, the world's going to hate you. And they gave their reasons trying to explain why the world would hate you for loving them. All right. And because it exposes their lack of love and exposes flaws in, in them, they don't like it. So they take it out on you. That, that's their argument. But then but that what they kind of said is if we love the right way, this will replace fear. So in other words, you love the world's going to hate you. And typically the hatred of the world would make you intimidated, would give you anxiety, would give you worry, would give you fear, because it could lead to persecution. It could lead to who knows what. But their argument seems to say, but if you love the right way, it will replace that fear. So we ended up, the, the big plot twist, really, we were left with this very fascinating question. If we love people the right way, if we love our enemies the right way, does that actually remove fear from our lives? If we truly loved our enemy, and I get, and I ask some very important questions, right? Because we try to make it as real as possible. That's that, it's it's kind of a hypothesis. We haven't. We're not trying to be dogmatic on it, but it raises just this interesting question. And, and we have to remember this. This is so important. All right. Now we're going to advance this, so just stay with me. But I really want to return to this because I think it's fascinating. All right, now, in, 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 within Christianity, within, within the church, and this is just a fact, so many times we gain these ideas and they're very theoretical. We talk about this all the time on this podcast and I do so in my sermons. It's, it's great to have a theoretical concept like love your neighbor as yourself and you can say, 
Oh, what a beautiful concept. I, I do love my neighbor as myself. I do this. It sounds good until, well, Jesus says, oh, you do? You do love your neighbor as yourself? Well, then sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor. And you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't really love them that much. See, it's easy to, to have the concept. Love God? Well, of course I love God. Until now you're putting us put in a situation where that claim really gets called into question. And then guess what you're going to find time and time again? You don't really love God. You don't really love your neighbor over and over and over and over again. So it's a great hypothesis to say, hey, if you really love people, if you really love your enemy, then that love will will replace fear. It will push fear out and you won't fear anyone because you love them. Now that sounds good theoretically, but as I gave the example, you're sitting in church, all of a sudden you hear gunshots, someone burst into the sanctuary, they have a gun and they start shooting people. Are you going to fear? You gonna have worry and anxiety or are you gonna say, I don't have any fear because I love even my enemy. See, it's easy, it's easy to say that it's a, bu- a brilliant concept until you're put into that kind of a situation. So I, I was not expecting that in this study of fear, we would be confronted with a question, if I love people the right way, does that replace fear? I, I'm not so sure. I, like I said, I don't think the curriculum was intended, intending to lead us there. But remember the whole point of the curriculum There is no room for fear when God's love is in us. Say, hey, there's no room for fear if you have God's love in us. And remember the text they started with? And and we looked at this yesterday. 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Hey, the world's going to hate you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. And their claim is, hey, there's no room for fear if God's love is in you. See, if you have God's love in you, then you'll love them, and if you love them, then you won't be dismayed, scared, or intimidated by the hatred of the world. That it, I, I just don't know if that hypothesis, it sounds good, but I just, I'm not convinced of it completely. I want it to be true because it would be great. Hey, how do you replace the fear of man? How do you replace the fear of people? You love them with a godlike love, and then you won't fear. Even if they want to harm you, kill you, you will turn the other cheek. You'll bless them who persecute you. You will place them before you. That, that I, I still think we need to think about that, but let's read the rest of the text. First John 3, 13, marvel not my brethren that the world hates you. We know that we have passed uh, from death unto life because we love the brethren He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now, we remember there's all kinds of issues in how to interpret 1 John. Remember, we've talked about this in previous series. It's a polemic against Gnosticism. That's the first way you have to interpret the book. Everyone ignores that, but that's a whole different story. 1 John 3.15, Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever hath the world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, the the focus of the curriculum was people hating us. That, see, that's how we ended up with the plot twist. 
because the curriculum was like, see, the world's going to hate you. And the, why, why would they hate you for loving them? And then they tried to give the reasons why. But I was like, well, wait a minute. Your point in the curriculum is that there's no room for fear when God's love is in me. So if God's love is in me, then I won't fear the world who hates me. And so that's how we ended up with the plot twist. It, it's just, it's fa a fascinating concept. We're putting it forth simply as a hypothesis for you to struggle with and unpack. And do I, do I agree with this? Do I have other scripture that proves it? Do I have other scripture that disagrees with it? Look, we, we could be dogmatic about this. We are, we are called to love our enemy. We are called to turn the other cheek. We are called to resist not evil. We are called to bless those who would persecute us. We are called to pray for them. We are called to do good to them. We, we, that's what we're called to do. We're called not to seek vengeance, we, we, but we are, to, we are to overcome evil with good, overcome evil with love. We, we, are, we are to give our enemy drink, our enemy food. I mean, we, we, that's, that's the biblical idea. So that part is absolutely true. There's no debating that. The hypothesis is if we loved people that way, would then there be no fear of them? And that I don't know if we can prove because then what we would be claiming is why did Peter fail? Why did Peter deny Jesus three times? Clearly he was intimidated. Clearly he was scared. Is it because he didn't love those people the way he was supposed to? Can, can we make that claim? I don't know. It's an interesting question. But tonight we are to advance all of this. We are to go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. So that's where we're going to go. We're going to use the curriculum, but we're in 1 John chapter 4 tonight. 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 16, and we're going to see where the curriculum is going to take us. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's, that's the, that's what the good news of Christmas, right? That's the good news. Well, every month, every day, every week, every, every second, the good news is that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Now there, there, see now this verse, you see why the curriculum is really focused on this. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Now, I think this has, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk maybe exactly what we think this is actually referring to, but the curriculum, again, inadvertently, not necessarily trying to lead us to this question, but I think this is where the plot twist is. So let's just take that concept and let's expand it maybe beyond the context, maybe expand it beyond what we should. If there is no fear in love and you truly love your enemy, then, then does that replace fear? You will have no fear of your enemy. 
I don't know. I mean, that's the question we put forth, but let's read it again. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now that that's, that, that's a powerful passage. I'm going to read it from a different translation. First, uh, I'm in, I'm in Second Peter. Not going to help me too much, is it? Uh, not going to help me too much. Here's First John chapter four. First John chapter four, verse eighteen. First John chapter four, verse eighteen. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Now, I think the immediate context here, I think is becoming a little bit more clear. The idea is the the fear that is driven out by love is when we we, when we truly understand and accept and believe God's love for us as demonstrated to us by sending his son and then his son's love shown to us by him laying down his life for us, when we understand the love of God, the love of Christ for us, then that drives out the fear of condemnation. That drives out the fear of punishment. It drives out the wrong fear of God. In other words, we won't fear God the wrong way. We will fear God the right way. It will be a reverence, a respect, and awe. But if we don't truly understand God's love, then we will fear him in a horrible way. It, it'll, be a, it'll be like being scared of like a rattlesnake. We'll want nothing to do with it. We will run from it. We will hide from it. We will want to get away from it. We won't be drawn to God. We'll run from it. So the right kind of fear for God requires a right understanding of God's love for us. That seems to be the emphasis here, all right? That seems to be the emphasis. See, if I understand God's love and I have, and I understand God's love for me, and if I love God, then this, I, this wrong kind of fear will be driven out. But it seems, the, the context here seems to be directed specifically for God, so I don't know if this if this specifically fits the question that we asked in the plot twist last night, but it at least raises again the kind of the question, and, I, and I'm going to apply it back to the, the plot twist last night. If we have perfect love, if we truly love people correctly, now we're never going to have perfect love because of our sinful nature, but if we truly love people the right way, would it drive out fear of them? But in this particular context tonight, I think the issue is, do you, ha- do you understand God's love for you and do you love him? And if you do, then it's going to drive out the wrong kind of fear as far as your understanding and relationship to God. Let's see what the curriculum decides to do with this. Let's see how they take this, all right? The curriculum quotes 1 John 4, 14 through 16. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. See, we have known and believed the love God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That's the key here. We've known and we believe the, the love that God has for us because he sent his son to be the Savior. This is what they say. 
This is the curriculum, and I quote, John could personally attest to the truth that the Father sent the Son to, the, uh, to be Savior of the world. But it's not just the eyewitness who, who can say that. As Jesus told Thomas, blessed are they that have not seen, and yet they believed, John 20, verse 29. By faith, we too can confess that Jesus is the Son of God. It is that confession that brings us into our right relationship with him. John wrote that for those who confess Christ, God dwelleth in him and he in God. As God takes up residence in our lives, so does his love. They are inseparable. That means if we don't express Christ-like love, it's obvious his love does not reside in us. Now, let's stop right here. Once again, this becomes this never-ending, everyone, everyone wants to run to this test idea in 1 John, and we've talked about this and talked about this. Just remember the problems this creates theologically, biblically, and logically, all right? If the way I'm going to prove that I'm saved is because I demonstrate the right kind of love, I'm, am I ever going to truly demonstrate that I'm saved? Because wouldn't it require that I demonstrate a perfect love? And some say, well, it's not perfect. It's just, so how much love do I have to, is that a 20%, 30%? It becomes very subjective, right? And once again, I'm looking to what I'm doing or not doing to prove my salvation. Here's what I do. I look, here's what I know. In Christ Jesus, this is very important. In Christ Jesus, by faith, his obedience, passive and active, and his righteousness is imputed to my account. So in Christ, I do love people the right way. In Christ, I do love the, in, my enemy the right way. In Christ, I love perfectly. Practically, I never love perfectly because love originates inside of us. And what is inside of us? A sinful nature. That sinful nature is not eradicated in salvation. It is very active. So whatever love I have, it's always corrupted to some level. It's never perfect. It's never pure. In fact, many, 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 many times, what we say is love is nothing more than selfishness. We love because of what we obtain from it, what we get from it. We love people because they love us. We love people because they give us a sense of security, comfort, companionship, whatever. So many, many times our love is purely selfish. So if when you try to make that some kind of test, what you basically do is you make it subjective and then you just water it down to basically, well, I was nice to that person. Clearly, I show that I'm saved. No, 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 I, no. The, the, the law demands that I love people perfectly. I fell short. I fall short of that 24 hours a day. So in Christ, I do love perfectly. In Christ, God, Jesus loved the Father perfectly. So his love for the Father is imputed to me. He loves others perfectly. So that is imputed to me. And he loves his enemies perfectly. That is imputed to me. So let's just make just make that very clear. All right. Um, it is a harsh truth. Uh, that John repeated throughout the letter, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Again, that, that just becomes a never, I mean, I don't know how you would ever have any assurance of your salvation because you would have to get to the end of your life and go looking at the totality of my life that I really show enough love to know that I'm saved. It, you, would be, you would be in a perpetual state of uncertainty. Here's what I know. 
the Bible demands that I love. Remember, whenever the law gives a demand, whenever you read a scripture that's giving a demand, that's law. And what does the law demand? Personal, perfect, exact, entire, and perpetual obedience. I I do not love people perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. Therefore, I would always be falling short. Therefore, I could never be assured of my salvation unless I water it down and then just make it subjective. But I do know in Christ, I love everyone perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. So we've talked about this forever because any other thing, you're just going to end up crazy. But this is it's just weird. Like they're, they're trying to use this to somehow say, we're going to drive out fear, but this would just create fear. But let's see where they go here. This is what, this is how the curriculum continues. One of my favorite smells in the world is the smell of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. Well, that is horrifying and that is horrible. Okay. Because I can't stand chocolate. And so no, the only cookie that's the only cookie that's acceptable is oatmeal cookies. That just, just let's just get that out of the way. All other kind of uh, cookies are apostate. They are reprobate, and they should not be eaten, sold, or allowed to be in the United States of America. Okay, all right. Let's continue. It is a smell that invites me to seek out and find the source. Because the aroma has enticed me, I will not be satisfied until I find the source and taste of its goodness. As followers of Jesus, we give off the aroma of Jesus and the love of the Father. Okay. Oh, man. That you got to be out of your mind if you really think you pull that off ever. If you really think that you walk around and you give the aroma of, of Jesus coming off your life or whatever. It says, because God's love is within us and remains in us. We have the very spirit of God dwelling in us so that we give off the aroma of his love and his life. Have we ever seen in the history of the world where Christians are like, man, they give off the aroma of Jesus. They give off, off the aroma of his love. I'm sorry. I, 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 I know. All right. Um, it can't stay bottled in. The God of the love of God who, re, who remains in us overflows into the lives of those around us. Let me remind you of what we read earlier in 1 John 3, 13. The world hates us. For me, the aroma of Christ and the life of a believer is sweeter than the aroma of a chocolate chip cookie. Unfortunately, not everyone feels that way. As Paul wrote, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish to the one we are the savor of death unto death and the other the savor unto life unto life. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. My family has a creed we live by. Uh, It is how we define who we are as a family. There are five components to number to it. Number one, we love God. Number two, we love others. Number three, we share our stuff. Number four, we do our best. And number five, we are brave. We use this as a measuring stick to see how well we're doing as a family. So in other words, what their, their family operates is under the system of law. We do this, 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 we do this. Now, if they're even halfway honest with themselves, they would say, well, we fail to love God. We fail to love others. We're probably selfish with our stuff. We probably don't always do our best, and we're probably not always brave. So it would be a perpetual state of failure in said family, unless you convince yourself that you're actually pulling those things off, which becomes the problem. So, See, this, the curriculum is taking us in a direction I didn't want to go, but that's okay. That's okay. All right, here we go. The Christian life also has a measuring stick, the love of God. The love of God is the foundation on which we build our lives as followers of Jesus. We should ask ourselves how the way we love others reflect how Christ loves us. I hope you hear the incredible security that comes from God's love in our lives. 
his love flowing out of our lives is evidence that we are in Christ. We can rest with assurance in his love. That, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. It brings no assurance. If my assurance is, look at how I love other people. Look at how I love God. See, I have assurance that I'm saved. That brings no assurance. Because you never love the way you're supposed to. Your love is always corrupted. If you believe that you do, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No. No. It, it's just, it, it, there's no assurance in that. I would be in a perpetual state of fear that somehow, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. I, 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 don't, I don't love, I never love the way I'm supposed to. It, it's just amazing how Christians believe that they pull it off. It really is. It, I, I, I just don't get it. Um, then they quote 1 John 4, 17 through 18. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. All right, let's see what they're going to do with this. I have, I'm, I'm very concerned what they're going to do with this. Here we go. I quote from the curriculum. Herein, herein is, refers back to verse 16. Now, verse 16 said, and we know and believe that the love that God hath to us, God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. All right, so they say that that refers back to, verse. so herein is, refers back into 16. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. When we are secure in our love relationship with God, God is made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Nothing more can be added to the love of God in us. He loves us fully and his love is, his love is fully accomplished and completed in our hearts. Because God's love is in us, we have absolutely nothing to fear on the day of judgment. His love fills our lives so that there is no room for fear. In fact, fear and love are mutually exclusive. Now, I do agree with this, but they've almost contradicted themselves. So let's make this very clear. This is very important. God's love does remove fear from our lives about judgment. We cannot, we, there is no fear about judgment. There's no fear about losing my salvation because I am saved by an imputed righteousness. If, if, if I am saved by faith and God imputes the righteousness of Christ, nothing can take away that righteousness. It's been accredited to my account. So if I understand God's love for me, that he gave his son, I understand the love of the son for me. That does cast out fear. But if you turn around and say, no, 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 God loves you. Jesus loved you. Jesus died for you. By faith, he gave you his righteousness. But, however, you have to prove this by what you do. Well, how do I prove imputed righteousness by practical righteousness? That would mean I am proving an infused righteousness, which would be... <laughs> Well, Roman Catholicism. So I do understand what they're like. I, I, I want to agree with them that, yes, God's love cast out all fear. 
But you can't turn around and say, see, God's love for you cast out all fear. You don't have to fear judgment. You are secure. But if, but they always then throw in the but. However, you have to do A, B, C, D, E to prove that you really have God's love. Well, then it's not, I'm not saved by what God does. I have to, in a sense, prove that I'm saved by what I do, meaning I'm being saved by what I do. And you say, no, 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 you're not, you're not saved by what you do, but you're telling me if I don't do it, I'm not saved. So guess what? You're making it a requirement. It, it just creates so many, so many problems, so many problems. All right, now, here we go. Let's continue to read what they have to say here. They quote first John, no, okay. Um, they says, if we do not have a relationship with God based on faith in Christ, we have every right to be afraid. I agree. One day we will stand before God, the book of life will be opened, and anyone whose name is not recorded will face condemnation, punishment, and death. But when we trust Christ, when we trust in Christ, condemnation and punishment are removed because Christ took our punishment and death upon himself. Exactly. So there's nothing we have to do. That's been done for us. But there's always this argument that we have to prove something. Uh, God sees us through the finished work of Christ. He sees us as new creatures. Absolutely. He sees us as a new creature. In reality, we're still not new because we have the old nature. Fully justified and made new through Christ. Yes, that's how we are seen. Fully justified and completely new in Christ. In practice, we still have an old nature. We still have sin nature. So therefore, we don't love the way we're supposed to. Nothing can alter the completed work of Christ, and therefore his followers have no need to fear judgment. Absolutely. I think twice before walking through an unsavory part of town, but if I had a muscular, well-trained friend walking alongside me, my concerns and fear would disappear because of who he is with me. In the same way, if I yield, if I, if I, if I have yielded the throne of my life to Jesus, choosing to follow him, living as he lived, loving as he loves, I have nothing to fear. Now, see, please note, here's, oh man, this is so typical evangelical doublespeak, right? Watch, see if you catch the doublespeak. See if you catch the doublespeak. All right, watch this. All right, this is so important. So, um, when we trust Christ, right? Uh, When we trust in Christ, condemnation, Punishment are removed because Christ took our punishment and death upon himself. God sees us through the finished work of Christ, and he sees us as new creatures, fully justified and made new through Christ. Nothing can alter the completed work of Christ. Therefore, his followers have no need to fear judgment. See, that's all. That's gospel language. Amen. Amen. Right? He did it all. We don't have to do anything. We are sick. He's our, our sin has been removed. His righteousness has been given to us. We have nothing to fear. There is no judgment. There's nothing that can alter it. There's nothing that can change it. There is nothing. But evangelicals can never stop there because we're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. That's, that's too much gospel. That's too much. We, we, we've got to throw in something. Now watch, watch. So they emphasize that and then watch what they do. Watch how almost quickly they take it away. I think twice before walking through an unsavory part of town. But if I had a muscular, well-trained friend walk alongside me, my concerns and fear would disappear because of who he is with me. In the same way, now watch, watch what happens here. Remember the, the previous paragraph was all about what Christ did. Watch what they do here. Watch, catch the double speak. If 
I have yielded the throne of my life to Jesus, if I have chosen to follow him, if I'm living as he has lived, as he lived, if I'm loving as he loves, I have nothing to fear. If, 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 if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, if I have, if I do, if I don't do those things, then, well, then obviously I'm not saved. So therefore my salvation is not what Christ does for me. My salvation really is determined by why Christ supposedly is doing in me to produce this work. And if this work is not produced, then I was never saved. Meaning that I was saved by an infused righteousness, not an imputed righteousness. Why do we as evangelicals want to deny the doctrine of salvation by an imputed righteousness. We say, no, 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 we believe in that. But then we're, but then our salvation has, it's never determined by the imputed righteousness. If my salvation is actually determined by an imputed righteousness, guess what? I can't prove imputed. It's, it's been done for me. So they want to say, here, nothing can alter it. It's all done. And then look what they do. Look at all the ifs. If I've yielded the throne of my life to Jesus, have you ever truly yielded the throne of your life to Jesus ever over and over and over? You, you, in a sense, allegorically speaking, push him off the throne and say, no, I'm taking over again. So many times, how many times in your actions do you determine what you're going to do? It's you, 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 you. We are constantly battling the God of self. Constantly. Because our sin nature is still there. And what's the very definition of sin? The exaltation of the I, the exaltation of self. If, 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 if you've chosen to follow him, are you truly following him Monday, Tuesday? You, you follow self. If you live as he lived, when have you ever lived as he lived? When have you ever lived as he lived? You have fallen short of that a million times. If you love as he loves, have you ever loved others the way Christ loved? No, his love was perfect. He lived perfectly. You can't, you can never live as Jesus lived. You can never love as he lived. If that's the standard to prove that you're saved, ladies and gentlemen, no one is. It's such evangelical doublespeak. Then you have nothing to fear. Ah, oh, it just absolutely, and, and then, and then they say this takes us back to the heart of our previous Bible study in Romans 8. And that passage, we saw how nothing can separate us from God because of the work of Christ. The love that brought us into salvation and security in him is the same love that now indwells his followers and dispels fear. Well, that's true. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing. No one can lay the charge at God's elect. God is the one who justifies, but it's because of what he did, not because of what I'm doing. The proof of my salvation is the cross. The proof of my salvation is the perfect righteousness of Jesus imputed to me. See, they want to say that this is going to dispel fear, but if you're really reading it, it would create constant like, I don't know if I'm saved. 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 Christians do this weird thing. It says, we can love confidently because Christ who dwells in us. We can love fully and completely because that is how Christ has loved us. We can never love completely the way we should because we have a sinful nature. Sometimes when I enter my house, I am joyfully overwhelmed with the aroma of chocolate chip cookies. And the same way when people encounter us, let's make sure the aroma that overwhelms others is the love of Jesus. 
When, when all is said and done, let it be said of us that we loved as Jesus loved. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. It's, if you ever say that you have loved as Jesus loved, I'm sorry, you are deceived, you're lying, and anyone who says it about you is lying. Because we've never loved as Jesus loved. We've never lived as Jesus lived. We've never done anything like that. We have fallen short continually. It is, it is bizarre that they want to take a passage. And it's so weird how Christians are able to do this. This is baffling to me. All right, let me, let me, let's go back to 1 John chapter 4. All right, let's look at verse, 14, uh, verse 18. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. There is no fear in love. I want to make sure we get this down. We can't preach a message that we have nothing to fear and then in in the same breath, give everyone a hundred reasons to fear. Hey, 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 there is no fear in love and, and there is no fear, put it this way, there is no fear in God's love for us. If we truly understand God's love for us, he loved us, he sent his son to die for us, and in that loving action of God, he paid for our sins, and then by faith, his righteousness is imputed to my account. There is no reason to fear. I can't say there's no reason to fear. And, and as it says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. I can't say there's no fear in love and then say, however, or but, or whatever we want to do to cancel everything else out and say, however, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do, if you do these 50 things, then you have no reason to fear. Well, if that's the case, I'm always going to fear because I don't know if I'm ever doing it enough. I don't know if I will continue to do it. And so therefore there is no security for me. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, that perfect love can't be my perfect love. It's not my perfect love that casted out fear. It's the perfect love of God for me. It's the perfect love of God for me on my behalf. That's the only way I, 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 I'm going to disagree. It's almost like they're, they, this is how they read it. There's no fear in love. Hey, you want to get rid of fear? Then this is almost how they read it. Then you, you have the right kind of love. If you love God rightly, and if you love others rightly, then you won't have fear. But if you don't love God rightly, and you don't love others rightly, then you're going to have fear. And the fear they're talking about is a fear of going to hell, a fear of judgment. So how do you not have fear of judgment? Not in God's perfect love towards you, but in your perfect love towards God, making the way not to have fear about judgment, not based off what God did for you, but what you are doing, which is a complete perversion of the gospel. There is no fear in love. Absolutely. There is no fear in God's love for me because it's pure love, perfect love. It's an eternal love. It's a sovereign love. But perfect love casteth out fear. His perfect love cast out all fear. Because fear hath torment. Fear has torment. Fear is a constant concern of punishment. That's what that fear will be. As, another, as the other translation puts it, 
The other translation says, let me find it. Fear involves punishment. This is the fear of punishment. This is the fear of condemnation. This is a fear of judgment. Love gets rid of that fear because it's a, it's a, it's the love. It's God's love for me. He that feareth is not perfect in love. If you fear, then you've not been perfected in love, meaning that you are not understanding God's love for you. See, they're almost, they're, they're almost preaching it this way. Hey, if you fear, it's because you're not, you don't have perfect love. If you, if you'll, if you'll have perfect love for others and for God, then you won't have fear. Now, I, I, I reject this because we would always be in fear and it destroys the gospel. Everything that is demanded of us is given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we should not pursue the right kind. We should pursue the right kind of love. We should do so, but we never will do so perfectly. So our hope can't be in what we do. It has to be in what Christ has done for us. So here's what I would say. We must, or let me state it this way, the way we overcome the fear of God's wrath, of God's condemnation, of God's judgment. The way we overcome God's, God, the fear of God's wrath, of God's judgment, of, of the fear of humiliation before God. The only way we overcome that is in the perfect love that God has to us. I think so many times, Within the church, we have inadvertently created a situation that tells people God loves you when you do everything good and do everything right. And God's love for you is really dependent upon your obedience and how well you keep the rules. And if you don't keep the rules enough, well, clearly you're under the wrath of God. Clearly you're under judgment. Clearly you're going to go to hell because you've got to do the right thing. You've got to do the right thing. And so this creates a scenario, whether we want it to happen or not, to say many kids raised in the church, that whether we intended it or not, their perception is I got to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, God won't love me. So when they fall into horrible sin, embarrassing sin, shameful sin, Instead of running to Jesus, they want to run outside, run away from the church. They don't run to the church, they run from the church. If, if certain people in ministry fall into certain sins, it's not they can run to the church, they're gonna be they're gonna be run out of the church and everyone's gonna gossip. The people in the church are gonna be the one picking up the rocks, saying, Oh, they're garbage, they're trash. I never believed anything they said anyway. They're they're useless, they should never be in ministry again. It's never a place of love, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of restoration. We go like, nope, nope, you can't be restored, you can't be restored. You you committed the wrong no, no. We have turned God's love for us into really us earning that love or at least proving that we ever got that love by what we do. But the thing is, the point here is that God's love casts out all of that fear, all of that shame, all of that humiliation, because it's a perfect love. 
It's a perfect love. It's an eternal sovereign love given to us, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but because of God's sovereign grace. And he sends his son to die for us. And in Christ Jesus, all of our sins are forgiven. There is love. There is reconciliation. There is restoration. We should be, we, we, all of that fear should be cast away. And people think, well, if you say that, you're going to have that easy believism. Well, if you don't say that, you're going to have that basically infused righteous Catholicism. I understand 1 John gives lots of supposed tests. That's why I, that's why I was really struggling with the fact that they use this. But in a roundabout way, this is the way they use it. Hey, God's love, whether they admit to do this or not, inadvertently, this is what they, they came up with. This is basically how they read it. This is the way they read it. Let me go back to it one more time. And I know I'm offering a different perspective, but I just, I just can't go with this. All right, here we go. First John chapter four. I just knocked my microphone out of the way. I apologize. First John chapter four. There is no fear in love. Now, I think there is no fear, and I think the love that's being referred to is God's love for me. In God's love for me, there is no fear. Perfect love, that the only perfect love that's ever going to exist is from God, casteth out fear. It is God's perfect love towards me that cast out fear, that cast out shame, that cast out humiliation. It's that perfect love that should cause me to run to him, not from him. Because fear hath torment. Fear is, it has torment because of the fear of punishment, of, of, of condemnation, of judgment, of embarrassment, of shame. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. How are we made perfect in love? By accepting, acknowledging, believing God's love for us. And we see that perfect love and him sending his son to be the savior to die for us. They turn that into what we do. Our love, our love. If you want to get rid of fear, you have perfect love. You want to get rid of fear? It, it's driven out by your love for God, your love for others. And I just reject that that's the, way that, that's the way they read it. So let me go back to it. I did more explaining what I think it means than explaining how, I, the, how the curriculum is really teaching it. The curriculum is teaching it this way. Let me read it to you again. There is no fear in love. Hey, you, don't, you know how to get rid of fear? It's in how well you love others, how well you love everyone. It's going to be based on, on what you do. Now, of course, this doesn't, now you may think, well, this answers the question in 1 John 3. If we love people perfectly, will this drive out fear? This context is in, is in regards to judgment. Clearly, this section is about judgment. So we're not going to connect it to the previous section. I still think that question stands. If I love people the way I'm supposed to and love my enemy, will that drive out fear of them? That, I think that question still stands. This context is really about, guess what? It's about, it's about judgment with God. Now, I know we, we, could, we could use it, say there's no fear in love, and then we could say, well, see, hey, if you, if, you truly, if you truly love, then you won't have fear. But I don't, this context here is not really about that. I, I know we could try to make it applicable, but I just don't think it works. This is about judgment. Look, look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. See, this is about judgment. This is about judgment. So this doesn't really apply to that other question. There is no fear in love. They would read it, there is no fear when you love correctly. 
In other words, there is no fear of judgment when you love correctly. How do you, how can you have no fear of judgment or condemnation when you love the right way? I think that that's ridiculous because you never will. And then they go on to say, but perfect love casteth out fear. In other words, if you have perfect love, then all the fear of judgment is gone. Once again, I think that that's ridiculous. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. If you fear is because you haven't had the right kind of love. If you'll get the right kind of love and love people the right way, then you won't fear. I reject that rendering. I don't fear because of God's perfect love towards me. That's what drives out fear. God's perfect love towards me. All right. You can let me know what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know that's a tough section to work through. And it made it a little tougher because we broke it up into two broadcasts. So we reviewed a little bit of the of the plot twist and the question in 1 John 3. And I, at, at the beginning of this, I tried to draw a correlation between, hey, see, perfect love cast out fear, right? I, because you, you can see where you could try to draw those, that, that correlation together. But what, I'm, what I wanted you to ultimately see is, wait a minute, if we look at the, and I even mentioned this, if we actually look at the context here, I don't think it applies to that. This context in 1 John 4 is about judgment, about condemnation. So I, I know, I, I hope, well, all I can do is hope that it was beneficial. It's a tough, I, the, the Psalm 33 and Romans 8 was so much easier than working through this. But we come to, uh, I just wanted you to see the game that they play, that, that, that doublespeak. That's crazy. Hey, you're, you're saved by everything God did. Well, however, but, but, however, in reality, the only way you know you're saved is if you do this, 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 if you do, this, if you do this. and you'd be like, well, then I'm going to be scared the rest of my life. But see, that gave the clue that they think the way the, the love that drives out fear is, well, your, your actions. It's just, that makes my, my, my only hope for not being afraid of judgment is my life. And if I have to look to my life to give me no fear of judgment, I'm doomed. Because the only thing that's going to give me, that's going to drive out the fear of judgment is the perfect love, love of God towards me as seen in Jesus Christ. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Can't wait to see what this conversation looks like. Talk about it in the Discord channel or email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.